This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, casual ableism, depictions of commercial sex work, abduction and mind control of a child, and graphic violence, including physical and sexual assault and homicide. Listener discretion is strongly advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 307. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 48 in my Metamorph City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Fiona has been wrestling with a psychic memory block. For some reason, she is unable to remember most of her childhood before joining the Collective. For the last six months, she has been working with Sasha to uncover the source of this block. She hopes that facing the underlying trauma will help her to overcome her fear of being helpless, which has prevented her from getting pregnant and jeopardized her relationships to the other members of her breeding cell. They have gradually uncovered many of her youngest memories, but a gap still remains. In last week's episode, Sasha took Fiona on a journey into her own subconscious, which she visualized as a path through a forest. She followed a psychic representation of her mother, while Fiona visualized herself as a nine-year-old girl, the age she was just before the gap in her memories. Mother and daughter followed the path through a forest until they came to a massive oak tree that had fallen across the trail, a visual representation of the block on her memories. Fiona's mother led her through the maze of branches until they came to the far side of the barrier. From here, Fiona could see that the tree hadn't fallen on its own. Someone had cut it down. Frightened, Fiona tried to leave that place and continue on, but her mother was unable to go with her any further. Taking her daughter in her arms, she asked, Would you know the truth? Would you see what was taken from you? When Fiona nodded, the tree rose from the path and mended itself. In the spot where it had lain, the trail had grown black and ugly, rotten and overgrown with fungi. The truth is not always beautiful, Mother said, but as the good book says, it will set you free. Summoning all her courage, Fiona took her mother's hand and stepped into the memory. Making the Cut, a novel of Metamore City, written and read 
by Chris Lester. Chapter 48 Then Fiona lay on the bed, pencil in hand, and frowned down at the notepad in front of her. She chewed on her bottom lip in concentration. So this X is a number? she asked. That's right, Pitt, her mother said. And it could be anything? Mother chuckled. Not quite anything, Fiona. We have this equation that tells us something about it. She pointed to the collection of symbols on the paper. 3x plus 15 equals 48. There's only one number x can be if that equation is true. Your job is to figure out what it is. Fiona nodded slowly. So it's like a mystery. The equation has the clues, and x is the guy we're trying to catch. Mother's eyes twinkled. Now you've got it. Smiling, Fiona looked back at the paper again. We're going to have to get rid of that 15 if we're going to get X by himself. Can I subtract the 15 so I just have the 3X? You can, Mother agreed, but you also have to subtract 15 from the other side. The equation is like a teeter-totter. If you take someone off one side, you have to take someone off the other side as well, or it shan't be in balance anymore. That makes sense, Fiona said. A moment of arithmetic later, she had 3x equals 33. She paused. I can do the same thing with multiplication, right? Or division? Mother nodded. Well, that's easy. X has to be 11. Very good, Fiona, Mother said, grinning. Congratulations. You've just learned how to do something most children don't suss out until they're 12 or 13. Fiona made a face. They must be pretty stupid, then. That wasn't hard. Mother laughed, a musical sound that filled the tiny studio apartment. No, pet. The stupid ones don't learn it until some time later. You're just that smart. She planted a kiss on Fiona's forehead, and Fiona giggled. Let's do another one, she said. Mother took the notepad and pencil, flipped to a new sheet of paper, and wrote down a new problem. As she was handing it back to Fiona, a knock sounded at the door. A frown creased Mother's beautiful features. She held a finger to her lips. Fiona nodded, and Mother went over to the door. She gazed out the peephole for a moment, then came back, her frown deepening. "'My next customer is here early,' Mother said softly. All the joy drained from her voice. "'I'm sorry, pet, but we'll have to return to this later.' Into the closet with you now. Pouting, Fiona picked up her pencil and notebook and went over to the closet. Her pillow, blankets, an old telephone, and Mr. Thomas were all inside waiting for her. She flopped down on the pillow and wrapped her arms around the old stuffed horse. Mother closed the closet doors and went back to the front of the flat, where the knocks on the door were getting louder. Fiona shifted her position so she could see out through the crack between the closet doors. Mother opened the door, revealing a young man in his late teens. He had a lean, hungry look about him, like the dogs who prowled the street at night. He wore an old jacket and scuffed-up jeans, but his shoes were too nice for a street rat. He looked like somebody trying to look like a street rat, and not doing a very good job. Egan. 
mother said by way of greeting. Her voice was flat, all business. You're almost half an hour early. If you'd prefer to book your appointments earlier, I'll be happy to oblige, but you'll not be getting extra time without paying for it. Fiona hated this part. She understood what mother did for a living. How could she not? And she guessed that there were probably worse ways to make money. But she didn't like the fact that the men came here. It hadn't always been this way. Mother had been part of the guild once, and they had a nice place called the parlor where she went to work. Mother could meet her customers in one room, while Fiona stayed with the other women's kids in the playroom, safe and out of sight. But for some reason, the guild had kicked her out. Mother wouldn't say why. And now they were on their own. Most of the women who got kicked out would work out of special hotel rooms, but Mother said that those hotels were all owned by the vampires. It was very important to Mother that they stay away from the vampires. Her thoughts were interrupted when another voice came from the hallway. Don't worry, babe. He'll pay you. Another young man stepped into view. This one was blonde, sleek, and handsome. He moved like the lions at the zoo, all grace and power. This one wasn't trying to look like a street rat. He was the thing that ate street rats for breakfast. Fiona started trembling. Oh, this is not good, she thought. Not good, not good, not good. Mother put out her hand, a warding gesture. Stop right there, handsome, she said, her voice harsh. Let's get one thing straight. I don't like surprises. You paid for one hour of my trade, Egan. If your friend here wants to have a go, he'll have to make an appointment like everyone else. Oh, come on, Red, Egan said cajolingly. Victor's all right. He's my best mate. Victor showed a wolfish grin. And Egan here said you were so amazing that I just had to see for myself. We'll pay you triple, Egan offered. Cash up front. He pulled out a roll of bills and passed them to Mother. She counted them, then gripped the money in her fist, obviously thinking hard. Fine, she said at last. Just this once. You don't spring this on me again, understand, Egan? Sure thing, Egan said, nodding eagerly. You still only get one hour, Mother said. She crooked a thumb at her backside. And if either one of you goes anywhere near the back door, it's another hundred. Victor grinned again and passed over a few bills of his own. I think we can deal with that, he said. Mother grimaced, but she took the money. I'll just put this in the lockbox, she said, then nodded to the bed. Make yourselves comfortable. What followed was hard for Fiona to watch, but she couldn't bring herself to not watch either. She didn't like the look of that Victor guy at all, and she felt that she owed it to Mother to keep an eye on him. Mother had told her what to do if she ever got hurt during her work. Stay hidden, use the phone in the closet to dial emergency services, and leave the phone off the hook until help arrived. She ran through the plan in her head, silently repeating it like a litany. Stay hidden. Call emergency. Wait for help. Fiona pulled the phone a little closer, then looked out again at her mother and the two men. She could feel their emotions from here, 
the tangled web of thoughts and feelings that resulted when Mother joined with other spookies. Sometimes that bond was something beautiful and special, like a group of musicians playing together. Mother had said that those were the times she actually enjoyed her job. Tonight, though, the music of their thoughts was sour and out of tune, full of jangling discord and competing rhythms. There was pain in the group mind, and embarrassment, and shame, and running under it all, a wolfish melody that heard that pain, and laughed. After an hour, Mother pulled herself out of the link. All right, she said firmly, doing her best to hide the pain and exhaustion Fiona knew she felt. That's it. Your time's up. I haven't finished, Victor growled, his voice rough with exertion. He stood at the edge of the bed with Mother on her back in front of him. He didn't show any sign of letting go. That's not my problem, boyo. Mother snapped. You can pay for another hour, or you can finish your own damned self. She made to push herself back on the bed, then went abruptly still. Fiona felt her mother's shock as she was suddenly rooted to the spot. Egan, who had been taking a breather and watching them, now sat up with a look of alarm. What are you doing, Vic? he asked. Getting my money's worth, Victor said tightly. Bitch wasted too much time talking in the beginning. Vic, she didn't start the clock until we got started. I watched her. Come on, either pay up or let her go. Victor spun on Egan then, letting go of Mother as he rounded on his friend. Mother gasped and scrambled off the bed, out of his way. You taking her side, Egan? Victor spat. You back in this stupid flatliner over your best mate? Egan stood up and faced Victor squarely putting a finger to his chest. You're out of line, Vic. Red's providing you a service, and one you've been having a damned hard time getting for free, I might point out. Victor snarled, but said nothing. You want that service, you pay for it, Egan said. Our bet was only good for one hour. You want more than that, you can pay for it yourself. Actually, Mother said, you can both get out of my bloody flat. Egan and Victor spun to face her. She had crept over to the desk while they were arguing and pulled out her little gun. She kept it trained squarely on Victor, her bright green eyes burning with fierce anger. Fiona gasped, then grabbed the phone and dialed emergency services. She covered the earpiece with her hand so that Victor wouldn't hear the voice of the dispatcher. Outside the closet, there was a long, dangerous silence. Red, no, Egan whispered. His face had gone white. You heard me, Mother shouted. Put on your clothes and get out. Victor took a step toward her. She pulled back the hammer on the gun, the sound unsettlingly loud in the otherwise quiet room. He stopped, still a good two meters away from her. You're going to put that gun down if you know what's good for you, Victor said, his voice barely above a whisper. Mother's lip curled back from her teeth. Not one more step, she warned him. Get your things and get out. I won't tell you again. For an instant, no one moved. Then Victor snarled and shot out his hand toward Mother. In the same instant, she pulled the trigger, but an invisible hand pushed the gun barrel to the side. The shot went wide, striking the wall behind Victor. 
Before she could take aim again, the gun twisted out of her hand and flew across the room, landing in the far corner. Fiona gasped and covered her mouth as the same invisible force picked Mother up and slammed her against the wall. Victor was on her a moment later, wrapping his hand around her throat. His other hand balled into a fist and struck her hard, breaking her nose. Mother's pain echoed through Fiona's mind even louder than the gunshot. You stupid Monday-loving cunt! Victor's eyes were alight with madness, a rage so complete that he was literally frothing at the mouth. You want pain? You must like it, because you're asking for it. He hit her again, across the mouth. Vic, no! Egan shouted. He ran over and tried to pull Victor off of her. Let her go, man. You don't want to do this. Get off of me! Victor roared. He grabbed Egan in a telekinetic grip and threw him bodily across the room. In that instant of distraction, his grip on Mother weakened. She spat blood in his face, then struck out with a kick to his unprotected groin. Victor staggered back, bent double in his agony. Mother fell to the floor, scrabbled to her feet again, and went for the gun. Egan intercepted her, wrapping her up and holding her arms to her sides. Everybody hold it, he shouted, the panic edging into his voice. You're both... just... just stop it! Let me go, Egan! Mother's face was covered in blood, already swelling up, but her eyes were still full of green fire. Let me put down that animal while we still can. I'm not letting you shoot Vic, Egan said. He tried to kill me. I'm not going to let him do that either, Egan insisted. Victor staggered to his feet, bracing himself on the bed. Fiona couldn't see his face, but she could see his body shaking with rage. Silence fell over the room again, save for the panting of the three adults. You saw what she did? Victor's voice sounded half-strangled with pain. Fuck, man, you had it coming, Egan snapped. What the fuck were you thinking, hitting her like that? He wasn't thinking, Mother said, glaring at Victor from across the room. He's a bloody beast, Egan, a killer. I saw his mind in the link. One day you're gonna wish you'd let me kill him. Egan sighed. God's damn it. He half-dragged, half-carried Mother over to the corner opposite the door to the flat. He turned her toward the wall, putting his body between her and Victor. Vic, get your shit together and get out of here. Victor stared at him a moment, then began to dress. I'm so sorry, Red, Egan murmured. Fick your apologies, Mother growled. When he had dressed, Victor went to the door and let himself out. Egan let go of Mother and went to dress himself. He was just pulling on his shoes when the sound of sirens rose in the distance. Victor burst back into the room, fresh rage burning in his eyes. You fucking whore, you set us up! Before Egan could react, Victor snapped out his arm toward Mother and clenched his fist. There was a loud crack, and Mother's neck bent at a sickening angle. She fell to the floor and lay still. Mama! Fiona forgot all about the plan. She burst from the closet, ran past an astonished Victor, and knelt at her mother's side. Mama, no, get up, please. Fuck! 
Egan wheeled on Victor. What the fuck are you doing, man? Victor didn't respond at once. Fiona bowed over Mother's body and sobbed. I... Bitch set us up, Victor said at last, sounding stunned. You think the kids saw? Oh, fuck no. Don't even think it, Vic. I am not letting you kill a fucking kid. Well, what are you gonna do, Egan? Victor demanded. Cops are gonna be here any minute. She's gonna tell them what happened. Not? Egan stopped, took a breath, and started again, his voice marginally more steady. Not if she doesn't remember. Fiona looked up then, her eyes widening as she realized what he was talking about. No. She tried to run. Egan caught her halfway to the door. In sudden terror, she grabbed his jacket and pulled. Energy welled up from somewhere inside her, filling her arms and legs. She flung Egan in a half-circle and then let go, throwing him halfway across the room. She stopped and stared at her own hands in astonishment. Comprehension dawned on Victor's face. He laughed. Son of a bitch, he said, sounding impressed. The kid's an egoist, and a damned strong one. So I noticed, Egan muttered. Victor smiled. This changes everything. He gestured, and Fiona rose into the air, gently suspended by a force that held her just under her arms. Another band of force held her mouth shut. She tried to scream, but nothing came out. She thrashed and kicked, but she couldn't reach anything. Her newfound strength had nothing to act on. Let's go, Victor said. They ran, Victor dragging Fiona behind him like a helium balloon. If anyone heard them leaving, they didn't open their doors to look out. On the street, people didn't risk getting involved. They bypassed the lift tubes and took the stairwell instead. After descending through four flights, they heard a door open below them and the sound of boots tramping up the stairs. Victor looked over the railing and grimaced. Cops, he said. The telepathic message was obviously intended for Egan, but Victor's focus was erratic and Fiona picked up on his thoughts. We need a mind fog. I'm on it, Egan said, though he didn't sound happy about it. He stopped in the middle of a landing, then pointed to the corner behind him. Victor parked Fiona in the corner, pinning her arms and legs to the wall and locking her jaw shut so she couldn't make any noise. He took up position in front of her, his eyes on her and his back to the stairs. Fiona couldn't move her head, but there was enough space under Victor's arm for her to catch most of what happened next. Two police officers came up the stairs and turned onto the landing at a run. They didn't see Egan loitering there until they had plowed into him. The three men fell in a heap. Hey, watch it, Egan protested. The police officers scrabbled to disentangle themselves, but not before Egan succeeded in touching one man's hand in the other's face. Their eyes went glassy at the skin-to-skin -skin contact, and Fiona felt the echoes of Egan's telepathic power as he reshaped the men's perceptions. Sorry about that, sir, one of the cops mumbled. He blinked and rubbed his eyes, then stepped past Egan and continued up the stairs. His partner followed him a moment later. 
Neither of them looked once at Victor or Fiona. When they had gone, Victor thumped Egan's shoulder. Good work. Let's just get out of here, Egan said, his mental voice sour. He shook off Victor's hand and continued down the stairs. They exited at the street and dragged Fiona for half a block before taking a lift up to the first level. If Victor was getting tired from using his power for so long, he didn't show any sign of it. They entered a dimly lit parking garage and took her to an old and battered skimmer. Egan opened one of the back doors, and Victor deposited Fiona inside, pinning her against the seat cushions. All right, Victor, what did you have in mind? Egan asked, almost snarling at his partner in crime. Why not just wipe the kid's memory and leave her there? The kid's valuable, Victor said. Egoists this strong don't come around too often, especially outside the creches. We'll get a nice reward from the elders if we bring her in. Egan glared at Victor. You killed her mother, dumbass! You think the elders are going to thank you for that? Victor grabbed Egan's shirt. So we don't tell them that, do we? He said, his voice low and dangerous. He locked eyes with Egan for a moment, then released him. This'll be easy enough to cover, he said, continuing in a lighter tone. A gang of rogue mages goes in for a little action. The bitch gets cheeky. They kill her. We happened to be close enough that you heard her psychic scream, followed it down, and found the girl. He smirked. Tragically, the mages had mind-wiped her to protect their identities, so we'll never know who did it. He spread his hands. It's a win-win situation. We get to be heroes, and the girl gets taken in by the hive. Couldn't be simpler. Egan nodded slowly. Yeah, he murmured. Yeah, you're right. It's the only way. He turned his attention to Fiona, who was still lying immobilized in the back seat. He reached out and brushed the hair out of Fiona's eyes. Fiona wanted to bite him or spit in his face, but she couldn't do either one as long as Victor held her. Fingertips pressed into her forehead. She felt Egan's mind start pressing inside her own. She raised a feeble shield to try to block him, but her defenses were as thin as tissue paper. She couldn't keep him out. Tears began to flow unbidden down her face. Hey now, Egan said, his voice gentle. He gave her a sad smile. Don't cry, little Red. It'll all be better in a minute. And that's the end of chapter 48. Come back next time when Fiona comes to grips with what her memories have shown her. Kim Edwards said, Writing is always a process of discovery. I never know the end or even the events on the next page until they happen. There's a constant interplay between the imagining and shaping of the story. So let's see how that interplay has been going for me lately. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of October 9th through October 15th. I wrote 1,569 words this week, 
over the course of 1.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 1,046 words per hour. I wrote on two out of seven days this week. This week I finished my edits on Abigail Hilton's forthcoming novel, The Cormorant. This is a great story, and I'm really glad I had the chance to help Abby iron out the kinks and make it even better. I worked on my edits every day, Saturday through Wednesday. I took a break from working on the podcast last weekend so I could get the project done more quickly. On Thursday, I went back to work on my Alex story, Out of the Shadows. I last worked on this story on July 28th, before starting my big production push on making the cut, so on that first day I took some time to just read over my notes and what I've written so far. I'm feeling good about what I have here, and I think this is going to be a fun little adventure. Now I just need to start building the habit of daily writing again. It'll be slow going at first, but I know I'll get back in the rhythm if I keep at it. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.